An eight-phase election was held to District Development Council in October and November of 2008, bringing democracy to the grassroots at a very local level. In that, in 2018, there was 51.7% um, voter turnout. Then in October 2019, after um, abrogation, Block Development Council elections were held for the first time. We saw a record voter turnout of 98.3%. What it means is that they, the local population of um, Kashmir is willing to involve themselves in the electoral process. They do not want anybody to usurp it. If you remember how August 5th, 2019 happened, there was a momentum built. Nobody knew what was happening, but for three, four days before that, everyone knew something would happen. There were educated people in Valley who told me that if abrogation happens, if um, 370 is removed, the government of India will come with uh, in, uh, military tanks and they're going to trample us and kill us all. This is what they thought. Good evening, everyone. The topic for today is broadly uh, Kashmir after abrogation or dilution of Article 370. Uh, as we all know, on August 5th, 2019, Article 370 of Indian Constitution was abrogated. And Article 35A was nullified, this much we know. So today I thought I will give you a brief overview of what kind of reforms have happened and why finally we have pressed a reset button in the region uh, and decided that status quo must be challenged. From April to now, so much has changed in Kashmir India and the world that I feel we have a whole new understanding of August 5th, 2019 events. Afghanistan is on everybody's mind and rightly so. Those who study Kashmir as students and those are, who are engaged with what is happening in the Union territory of JNK, this means a whole new paradigm shift in understanding the events of August 5th. August 15th this year was a surreal day in many ways. Uh, on our screens, we saw two starkly different images. Kabul and Srinagar were both in news together after a very long time. On one hand, we saw people celebrating Independence Day in Valley with great fervor. Tricolor was unfurled at places where it was inconceivable a few years ago on Hari Parbat Hill in Lalchok, on all government buildings, in all schools and educational institutions, in Lalchok's famous clock tower, almost everywhere. In fact, I was told just uh, a little while ago, a competition was organized um, where kids from different schools in Kashmir Valley competed with each other for singing national anthem. And they did so well that the organizing committee had to it was a tough time for them to um, find winners. So, you know, that is what the scenario was in Kashmir. There were zero incidents of violence, very important. And most of all, most of all, those of you who are, who are clued in will understand what this means. All phones were working and internet was working at normal speed. This hasn't happened since 2001 or 2000. 
three rather. This is the last time this happened, you know, this hasn't happened in a long time. So now why is this important? You would say you anybody you know the naysayers or the critics of the government could say well you know uh, you can have photo ops with tiranga somebody can uh, force you the government for their government uh, employees you can force a government employee to um, hoist the flag there is some amount of coercion there is this but to keep the phones working and the internet working and to for the because that is a security decision now this can only happen when government and security agencies are fully confident that no violence will happen. You have to understand that any death, any violence goes against the government, goes against the state and goes in favor of the uh, terrorist, um, you know, uh, organizations. So for so any government, any state would like to clamp down, especially on um, Independence Day, because they don't want any bad headlines. That is a given. But for the government that day, for uh, Union Territory of Junior, uh, Jammu and Kashmir, to keep the phone lines open and to keep the internet working will tell you how far we have come from 2019 when abrogation happened and uh, phones were not working for months together and then internet normal speed didn't happen for almost a year and a half. So that is the distance we have traveled and uh, in the valley uh, and at the same time while this was happening in real time we were seeing images of people celebrating at the same time we were seeing real-time images of taliban entering kabul we were seeing americans retreating we were seeing entire country of afghanistan falling to terrorists these two images to my mind were probably the closest we could come to visually understanding how important it was to get rid of Article 370 because Kashmir via Kabul, Kashmir to Kabul via 370 was a foregone conclusion and desire of many enemies of Indian state. They really did want to see Kabul happening in Kashmir and 370 was a path to that. So that's very important to understand it. It gave a visual, you know, everybody who is not even included could understand that how different and how far we have come. But before I go further, I think I should briefly explain what Article 370 really was, because not it's complicated and not many people really understand it very well. And that context is very important for me to build up on all the reforms and what it means uh, and what is happening right now. Article 370 meant different things to different people. To constitutional experts, it was a riddle. To politicians in Valley, it meant a whip to keep their flock together. To minorities like me, it was a tool of suppression and oppression. And to Dogras, of Jammu, to Ladakhis of Ladakh, to Safai Karamcharis, to West Pakistan refugees, it meant something entirely different. There was consensus on only one point, that this article was temporary, because that's what the constitution described it as. And that a temporary provision of constitution was allowed to continue for seven decades, makes one question what the meaning of temporary really is. Temporary meant it was supposed to end at some time, a reasonable time, and 70 years is a good enough time for temporary to become 
either permanent or be done away with. Article 370 of the Indian Constitution allowed Jammu and Kashmir to have a unique special status within the Indian Union, and I say special status within courts. The government of India had powers to make laws for all states on the items, including in the union list and the concurrent list, except JNK, where besides defense, foreign affairs and communication, it would make or amend laws only with the approval of state government. Over a period of time, some changes were made to Article 370 to include jurisdiction of Supreme Court, Election Commission, C&AG, but there were still many areas under the exclusive control of Jammu and Kashmir state government. Article 370 allowed the state of Kashmir, uh, state of Jammu and Kashmir, to have a separate constitution, a separate flag which made it the only state in the union to have that privilege. The unfortunate reality of separate constitution, besides the obvious feeling of alienation, is that it allowed for certain laws which were outdated, unfair, and stood in direct conflict with the progressive laws of constitution of India, which meant that for 70 years, people of Jammu and Kashmir never saw the benign face of Indian government. And I always say this, they never saw the benign face of Indian government thanks to their own constitution and Article 370. I have said over years and I have seen it that politicians had created a fear psychosis out of this piece of legislation, which was originally meant to be temporary. It had often been communicated to people that without this article, their identity will be eroded and some terrible misfortune will befall Kashmir. In election rallies, I have personally seen local politicians instigating people in the name of Article 370. They were told that Kayamak or apocalypse will come if 370 is even debated. Forget about abrogation or you know dilution. It had been unnecessarily made into a super emotional issue with Kashmiris. It had been conveyed to them that this is their only weapon against India. And then it was linked with that bogus term Kashmiriyat, which, well, means nothing. The sad reality, which is often glossed over, is that it's because of this contentious piece of legislation, people of the state had been kept impoverished, Development remained a distant dream and integration and assimilation with mainstream India became next to impossible. We were also told that if Article 370 is abrogated, JNK's accession to India becomes questionable. You will hear that even now and um, the Supreme Court is yet to hear the petition on 370. Um, but this is what you will hear, that JNK's accession to India is questionable now. This is a myth. That has been demolished forever and thank God for that. Maharaja Hari Singh signed the papers of accession on October 26, 1947, as some of you might know. It was the same document that every princely state acceding to India signed. Sheikh Abdullah, who, according to Prime Minister Nehru at that time, represented the voice of people, questionable, prevailed upon Nehru that state assembly will take final decision on accession. For the intervening time, Article 370 was conceived as a temporary provision. The State Assembly ratified the decision later 
And after that moment, once the state assembly ratified, remember, state assembly did ratify that, Article 370 became redundant. It should have been scrapped at the same time. I must also tell you that Nehru and Sheikh friendship went sour soon after. And Nehru dismissed Sheikh Abdullah government and put him in jail from almost 1953 to 1975. In between, there were uh, uh, small patches when he was free. But almost from 1953 to 1975, Sheikh Abdullah was in jail. There was, and there was continuous Congress government in JNP. In center, we had continuous com uh, Congress government as well, with a small interlude of Janta government in between. Yet, Congress government did nothing to repeal this article. And with the result, it be kept becoming a myth bigger than ever. Why the Congress governments, successive governments that belong to Congress, didn't do anything was because of the proverbial elephant in the room that everyone knew existed, but no one talks about it openly. This elephant in the room was the silent acceptance that JNK must be given special status because it's the only Muslim majority state in India. Nothing could be more detrimental to the idea of India. Nothing more could expose our hypocrisy in denying two nation theory of Jinnah if we were comfortable with Article 370. So finally, on August 5th, 2019, uh, the present government, Narendra Modi government, did the unthinkable, literally unthinkable. Before uh, the Home Minister went to the uh, floor of parliament to announce it, I announced it to the whole world and I am actually happy to say this and, you know, I like um, pointing out my own flaws. I went on the, on record on Twitter on somebody asked me on camera. I said, they said, what do you think? Because, you know, it had been building up. Somebody asked me, what do you think will happen? I said, everything will happen except Article 370 will not be touched. I am so glad I was proven wrong. But that is the kind, that is how we, it had been built. That's what we had learned. That's how we were raised. That nothing can touch, nobody can touch Article 370. So finally, the unthinkable happened. I think after BJP's aborted alliance with PDP, which I publicly um, um, uh, you know, spoke against because I thought it was an alliance from hell, uh, the government of India realized that maintaining status quo and playing musical chairs with two valley-based political parties was no longer tenable. I'm sure there was some intel there was some intelligence coming from Afghanistan also that we now know uh, we did not know what was going to happen. We did not know that it was going to crumble like this, but we did know in 2019 that United States is planning to pull out. So there was uh, that intelligence, I'm sure, with the government. And also the local uh, thing, they must have realized that it's impossible to play this with two valley-based parties. We're all, all that the Indian government is doing is playing musical chairs with them. Uh, so it was time to remove the smoke screen and time for New Delhi to speak to Jammu and Kashmir in one voice. It was time to tell Kashmiris, Dogras, Ladakhis that they're equal citizens who enjoy all rights just as every other citizen of India. And it was time for the Constitution of India to be applicable in its entirety, in every nook and corner of both now union territories and state at that point. See, I always, and we all know, 
that politicians from Kashmir, whether it's Sheikh Abdullah or it's Muftis or something, they would say one thing in Srinagar and they would say one another thing in Delhi. It's a common thing. Everybody knew that. They would say, they would speak from both sides of their mouth. So on in Srinagar, in standing in Lal Chowk, they would say something. Then they would go and meet the uh, government representatives in Delhi and they would say something entirely different. This we know. What we don't know and what we are not, what, what we were not willing to uh, accept was that government of India was also speaking in two voices before uh, abrogation of Article 370. Because if we, you were telling, uh, if you were uh, declaring to the world that Kashmir hamara atut ang hai, Kashmir is an inseparable part of India, then why were there two um, constitutions? Why were the um, uh, citizens of JNK not at par with the rest of the citizens? So we were also speaking in fourth tongue. So I am so glad that finally that, that ambiguity got removed on August 5th. That, uh, yes, there was this constitutional reform and everything, but even in terms of messaging, the ambiguity got removed, that there is no difference. If we are saying Kashmir, Bharat ka atut ang hai to hai, hum we are showing it the way we are doing it. So the series of systemic reforms that I have witnessed and everybody has witnessed in two union territories in the last two years makes it amply clear that abrogation was what the critics of BJP would say at that time, that it was it's a political statement or it's an ideological commitment, which it is. I mean, I no one can deny that it was in their manifesto. But the government of India has gone beyond the ideological commitment and the political statement. Uh, the first major reform has been passing of the domicile law, which increases the categories of those who can claim a domicile status and also recognizes all stakeholders who had been disenfranchised and kept out of the political mainstream. So this new law paves way for every citizen of India to become domicile of JNK after 15 years of residence. A lot of people will say, why 15 years? Those That 15 years can be changed. It's not a constitutional amendment anymore. Once the state feels that 15 years, there is enough consensus in the state that, you know, 15 years is a lot, they can change it at a local state level now. There is no need for two-third consensus anymore. That's that is the difference that, you know, at this moment, there is consensus in both Srinagar and um, Kashmir that they do want a domicile law because it protects them as well. Uh, Safai Karamcharis, Gurkhas and West Pakistan refugees, after years of being denied equal rights, have been covered under the new domicile law. They are now eligible for government jobs and any affirmative action guaranteed by the Indian constitution in any government-run educational institutions. In fact, just before this talk, I was looking at the numbers and I found out that 41 lakh domicile certificates have already been issued, including about 55,000 to West Pakistan refugees, about 2,700 to Valmikis, and about 789 to Gorkhas. Dalits in JNK were kept out of benefits that the Indian constitution guarantees to them elsewhere in the country. 
children of women who married outside JNK were deprived of inheritance rights. The new domicile law corrects this gender inequality and children of women married to non-domiciles can now acquire the domicile certificate and inherit what is rightfully theirs. And I always say this, I uh, said it even in um, US Congress that abrogation of Article 370 is not a suspension, but it is a restoration of human rights. All 890 central laws are now applied in JNK. 205 state laws, which were regressive and discriminatory, have been removed already. 130 state laws, which have been modified and now applied in the uh, state. So it no longer takes a constitutional amendment to bring about a change. This simple and most important fact has been missed by quite a few commentators. After the announcement of August 5th, the first real challenge was maintaining peace and ensuring those who benefited from status quo were effectively prevented from causing law and order issues. I think Narendra Modi owed it to the people of Jammu and Kashmir that there's peace on streets and prevention of any intifada-like you know, on the ground, engineered by those who don't destroy to who don't hesitate to destroy lives of poor people, poor children, while their own children are in safe havens of Turkey, United Kingdom, and uh, United States. On this account, I think the government delivered very well. The streets in the valley remain peaceful, and um, my favorite running joke is that the only turbulence was seen in opinion pieces of international newspapers. Um, Srinagar remained cautiously optimistic then. I mean, uh, sparks flew in US Congress at the behest of uh, Pakistani lobby, but Srinagar remained optimistically, uh, you know, it was peace. And then people said, we'll see. The peace is just for a little bit. You are clamping down. You are, um, once the phones and internet is open, then we will see how much peace there is. Well, the phones and internet have been open now for almost a year and a half and uh, even on 15th august as i said there has been no clamping down of any communication and um peace on the street has stayed this is not to say see you have to look at kashmir from two different angles there is a terrorism this state is also infested by terrorism so that terrorism thing is happening jihadis haven't stopped coming because we abrogated article 370 they don't care they will still come. There will still be uh, encounters. There will still be issues. So those things will happen. But on the street, peace has been maintained. Terrorism is at its lowest right now. Of course, targeted killings of grassroots workers and encounters of terrorists happen almost every day. Uh, if you remember, stone pelting had become very common in the valley. And almost every week there were incidents of stone pelting. And in retaliation, then the forces had to use what were known as pellet guns. I don't know if you will remember those pellet guns used to be in news all the time. But I'm sure in the last two years you haven't heard much about pellet guns because you haven't heard about stone uh, pelting as well. Incidents of uh, uh, terrorism in Jammu and Kashmir, when I was last checked, they have dropped by more than half 
um, uh, you know, I think in um, for about almost 400 days before um, abrogation, there were about 455. And in 400 days after abrogation, there are about 211, so almost 50%. And um, I'm also told that there are 40% decline in the involvement of Kashmiri youth in terror attacks, which is very important. And now with the withdrawal of US troops and not just withdrawal, now retreat of America from the region completely, and with Taliban's rise, one can only guess if 370 had not been removed, had not been diluted, had not been abrogated, Kashmir would have become a sitting duck again with Afghanistan becoming a sanctuary for terrorist organizations because of, uh, this has happened before. It's not the first time this has happened in 2001. It has happened in 90s when Soviet uh, withdrew because all the Mujahideens, um, uh, you know, who were now had all the time in the hand after Soviets had uh, um, withdrawn. Where did they go? They came to Kashmir. So same thing now. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure Taliban will outsource a lot of things to Kashmir as well. So having the security apparatus in control will really help um, this moment. I, I don't foresee what happened, uh, you know, last two uh, times when um, the Soviet, um, uh, you know, withdrew or in 2001 when after 9-11. I don't foresee that happening, but of course, fingers crossed. Uh, an eight-phase election. Elections are often talked about that, you know, what is a democracy without election? Yes, what is a democracy without elections? And um, state elections must happen. And it's the promise that has been delivered by Government of India on the uh, floor of parliament that elections will happen, statehood will be restored um, after delimitation. And uh, but in the meantime, it's not as if democracy has been suspended in Kashmir. An eight phase election was held to district development council in October and November of 2008, bringing democracy to the grassroots at a very local level. In that in 2018, there was um, 51.7% voter turnout. Then in October 2019, after um, abrogation, Block Development Council elections were held for the first time. We saw a record voter turnout of 98.3%. That is not to say the situation is perfect. That is not to say that everything is hunky-dory in Kashmir. I will be the last person to say that we have won the battle there. Uh, voter percentage or voter turnout does not mean all that. But what it means is that they, the local population of um, Kashmir is willing to involve themselves in the electoral process. They do not want anybody to usurp it. The fact that they are, you know, involved in the uh, uh, local electoral process is hope is a wonderful thing, is, is where we start. Even the worst critics of the government have agreed that this latest um, uh, local election, local body election, was one of the most free and fair elections held in the valley. Most of you will know the history of elections and rigging in Kashmir and how sensitive it is. It's a very sensitive issue in uh, Kashmir. But elections were held in free and fair manner. Even um, uh, the state um, 
you know erstwhile state government parties who have always been criticizing they 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 participated through proxies or uh, elsewhere they won seats wherever they were strong so even they have you know realized that there was there was no no rigging or there was no no artificial handling of elections um, government is uh, the indian government has been wanting to um, start the electoral process in kashmir um, quickly and i have actually been very impressed with the leadership of um, the current lg manoj sinha there and not just now over the period of time i have been very impressed with how he handled covid in bali not many people know that covid had affected kashmir also kashmir and jammu also in a disproportionate manner and of course second wave crept on us and this um, everybody knows that we were not ready for it despite what anybody says we were not ready for it and same thing what happened in bali also we were not ready for it or in jammu but this the urgency and fairness with how the state government dealt with both jammu and kashmir was the first time in my lifetime at least that i have seen because of some natural calamity that has hit the state uh, kashmir hasn't really there was not even a faint murmur that any kind of discrimination had been done so that goes on to prove that uh, you know there is there is actual interest in bringing democracy to the region and to my mind the trust deficit which everyone talks about the fairness the fairness in governance helped in eroding that um, not partially not fully but to some extent uh a reality check was needed for a lot of power centers in kashmir valley and the actions taken after the abrogation provided that remember no one poured on the streets in support of popular leaders who were put in house arrest and no one wanted their power reinstated no one you will not hear one person saying bring national conference back or bring pdp back people of jammu and kashmir were complaining about information clampdown and rightly so but not one credible voice of support from the masses came for abdullah zarmukhtis paper tigers had been exposed hurriya too was unable to drum up any support amongst the faithful the message had gone that the government means business and um now there has been uh, uh, it has been criticized also by uh, many constituencies that the government is initiating talks with the same people that it discredited um i think and uh, it has been clear uh, prime minister has made it clear in his um, uh, statements after that the meeting was after the, about the delimitation so it is also setting the uh, narrative now that statehood will not be given before the delimitation process is done and elections will not happen uh, till uh, statehood is restored so it has to happen in that sequence delimitation will be done statehood will be restored and then elections will be done which the local um, uh, state based parties want so at least the narrative setting is being done in a way 
that is that is beneficial for the people of Jammu and Kashmir and not just for this uh, 20 people who rule Kashmir or who have ruled Kashmir in the past. And as I kept saying, and this is people don't give it much credit, but post Article 370, you have not seen any incident of mass public violence in the valley. Contrary to what Western media routinely projects, there is no curfew in the valley. Valley is not under any kind of siege. There is no restriction on journalists. At the last count, and I could be wrong, there can be more now because I haven't checked this in a few months, but there are 37 English uh, dailies, 53 Urdu dailies, and two Kashmiri dailies that are published in Kashmir. Satellite channels and cable television is fully operational. Of course, the lack of violence has shocked and disappointed many people who benefit from the conflict tourism in Kashmir. They are not willing to concede, but sometimes facts are less complicated than they are made out to be. I think ordinary people in the valley are tired of bloodshed and betrayal by their leaders, by their own leaders, whether they're separatists or the mainstream politicians. People want peace stability, progress, and they're willing to give life and liberty a chance. Is there a change of heart? I will say again and again. Is there a change of heart? I am not so sure. But are they willing to give peace a chance? Yes. Are they worried about incidents in Afghanistan? And are they worried about Talibani mindset in Kashmir? Um, deep down ordinary people are. Whether or not the couriers and the uh, terrorists and all those are, whether they are not worried, whether they, they want to replicate Taliban in Kashmir. But I can tell you, ordinary people of Kashmir Valley, even today, their heart may be wherever they is, but they do not want a Taliban rule either. That much I have known from my uh, conversations and, uh, you know, uh, my conversations and my reaching out to people in, uh, you know, wherever I, in all, all demographics. Uh, many infrastructure, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this, many infrastructure projects that were long pending thanks to apathy of consecutive state governments have now been started and completed at a record speed. Uh, governing the entire erstwhile state of JNDK strictly from the prism of valley, which is what happened for 70 years, has become a thing of past. Equal attention is now paid to infrastructure development in Jammu and Ladakh. Udampur Srinagar Baramula rail link project is expected to be ready by 2022. This is going to be the highest railway bridge constructed over, uh, highest railway bridge in the world that will be constructed over River Chanab. I'm very excited about this. Uh, I'm told right, light metro rail transit system is being planned for both Jammu and Srinagar. 100% electrification for all households has been achieved. Water to every uh, home under very successful Jaljeevan mission is being worked on. Kashmiri Saffron has received a GI tag. So a lot of these reforms are happening. But are 
where are we right now? Have we done? Have we achieved everything? No, of course not. It is a, it's work in progress. Next round of reforms uh, should address, most of all, first of all, the question of displaced Kashmiri Hindus. The domicile law brings a sense of ownership in all stakeholders of Jammu and Kashmir and was therefore necessary. But rehabilitation of Jammu and Kashmir, Jammu and Kashmir uh, Kashmiri Hindus remains a question mark. They were forced into exile by brutal jihadi terrorism, which engulfed the valley. Valley still struggles with terrorism. So the question always will remain, should Kashmiri Hindus wait till the last gun falls silent? Or should there be a roadmap considered for their dignified return? The problem with waiting for the last gun to fall silent is that guns will never be in short supply as long as the global jihadi network flourishes. Many roadmaps have been discussed in the past, but nothing has really come out of them. A real roadmap in my, my mind will involve speaking to all stakeholders. The government should now seriously look into the demands of Kashmiri Hindus, uh, who have been for a while asking for a separate union territory to be carved within Kashmir. That will give them a sense of security after systematic um, persecution of several centuries, whether that's feasible or not feasible, um, uh, what is the constitutional um, status of that, all that debate should now begin. I think this is the right time. And obviously delimitation, which is a huge, huge reform where um, we are hoping that uh, it's happening right now, it's, it's underway currently, that um, Jammu, Ladakh, of course, has been separated now and they are doing fine. They've been uh, um, given what they wanted, what they had been asked for. But in this current delimitation process, one hopes that Jammu gets equal opportunity and equal political representation that it has been denied for the longest time because it was tied to this valley-based politics. So after that, the elections and um, concurrently with this, I think, the talks with Kashmiri Hindus should also start now to prepare a roadmap for them and not treat it as purely an economical issue because Kashmiri Hindus are not economic refugees. They did not, they did not flee because um, of economic issues or because they for jobs or anything. So jobs and money is not a really answer to that. Security is and a reversal of genocide they have faced in some sense is. So those talks need to start right now. Um, uh, and I hope they do. The beautiful Kashmir Valley, I don't know how many of you have been there, holds in its bosom many tales of treachery and betrayal. Generations have come and gone, but justice has eluded the people. Everyone has paid a very heavy price for mistakes committed by their leaders. Those who put stones in the hands of young Kashmiri Muslim boys and girls ensured that their own kids got educated in world-class universities in the West. Those who drove out hapless Hindu minorities from their homes of five thousand years and made them refugees in their own country, ensured that they built palatial homes for themselves. This injustice had to end. For how long can you hold people ransom for the geography and strategic location of the place they were born in? The abrogation of Article 370 ensures that 
those who invested in perpetual conflict have no place in deciding the future of Jammu and Kashmir. And that, I think, is the first and most important reform. Every other reform follows from, will follow from here. There will be no investment in people who have invested in perpetual conflict in Jammu and Kashmir. Well, um, people I know who are from Kashmir um, say that, of course, the um, abrogation of Article 370 is a very good thing. And from a general political viewpoint, I think it's obvious it's a renormalization. It's something that no other country would have accepted within its own borders, a territory that is off limits for a large part of the population. Uh, so it's a it's a good thing. However, what has happened the last two years? Now there, I simply have a question for proper information. This is not some leading question, some taunting question or so. No, I just don't know what has happened since then. So I'm glad to hear that the national holiday went off very well. That's a good sign. But what happened, for example, to the resettlement of the pandits or to the opening up of real estate to citizens or companies from elsewhere in India? Thank you for your question. And um, Kashmir is a 70-year-old cancer. You know, it's not going to get fixed overnight with nobody has a magic wand. However, till about two years ago, nobody was even, forget about magic wand or anything. As I said, status quo was the only policy of Kashmir. Give them money, feed them money, and keep them, and somehow keep the terrorism numbers under check, and uh, that's the policy. There was no other policy. Now, at least, as I said, people of Kashmir are also seeing some benign face of Indian um, government, which thanks to the um, uh, oligarchy that was happening, the oligarchical uh, thing, they could not see. Very small reforms have been touched upon. The biggest reform really is reversal, actually, acceptance of genocide of um, Kashmiri Hindus and first of all acceptance even that has not happened yet and then a pathway for them to go back home so that is a big one that has not been tackled yet and I did say it in my talk that this is the time that these talks are uh, started with the legitimate stakeholders of the Kashmir, which is Kashmiri Hindus, and they need to happen. I accept that um, on that front, not much has happened, and um, they need to start that process, first of all, even emotionally, and you know, generally, they need to understand that this is not a um, you know, this is not something which can be solved with jobs or which can be solved with um, uh, creating a township somewhere or, um, you know, creating, giving, 
20 homes to somebody in a um, uh, some um, uh, complex or a residential complex this is not that this is not how that is going to be solved yes so there it remains however domicile when the domicile law was introduced and a lot of people had uh, were upset with that also but i thought that was a step forward and not a step backward because stakeholders the number of stakeholders now had been increased earlier the uh, that custard um, certificate you know state subject certificate was so difficult to be um, uh, you know you had to grease a lot of farms you would never get it Finally, now those people who have moved out and not just moved out in 1990, moved out even in 1947, because the exodus didn't just happen in 1990, exodus is what we now know, but even from 1947, there has been a steady stream of um, uh, minorities moving out. They are now, um, uh, you know, they can now get eligible for uh, state um, uh, subject certificates. So I think a step has been made in right direction. It will take a long time. It's not going to be an overnight thing. There have to be um, uh, Kashmiri Hindu organizations have repeatedly said that they're not going to go back to a place where they are made sitting ducks and they do not want to be set up for eighth exodus. So these talks have yet to begun. And I think there is that there, it will start in a, uh, I have no reason to believe that um, these talks will not happen or a compromise or, you know, something will not come out of it. But yes, on that uh, thing, that's a reform that still needs to be seen, a major reform that needs to be seen. This is, Please uh, go ahead. This is the emergence of, uh... Uh, this is rather the fall of uh, Kabul to Taliban. Yes. And yes. I think it's uh, the, the responsibility on you and me to, to, to talk about it in the, in the context of Kashmir Jihad and then also how it is going to lead to, the, uh, to, the, to, lead to encouragement to those Islamist forces in the rest of India who have already shown those you know, uh, traits. They are, some of them are celebrating. Uh, arrival of uh, Taliban in uh, in Kabul. So uh, knowing they are medievalists, and that's a great challenge to the government of India. I'm sure they are aware of it, but then also to you and me. How do we reach out to rest of uh, our countrymen and also abroad? There is a total yes. absence of understanding of what India has on hand in Kashmir. It has been, and now it makes even all the more uh, all the more complex for Americans, for example, than are Indian Americans uh, to understand that. So I think, how are you going to go about it and talk about it? Because I think that's a that's a that's a that's a image the immediate challenge uh, yes. India has on hand uh, yeah. in Kashmir. Yeah, Lalaji, I'll tell you this, and this has been the greatest mystery of our times. Even though we know the answer, but it still continues to be a mystery. Let me tell you this. There is not one American lawmaker, not one, who will not tell you in private that Pakistan is a terrorist state. In private. They will tell you. They know it. They know that Pakistan harbors terrorists. They know that Osama bin Laden was found in Pakistan and not in Afghanistan. 
they know that umla umar is in uh, was in pakistan they know taliban was formed in pakistan they know they know what, how much of shielding pakistan has done yet the biggest mystery of our times is that they will bomb the um, uh, you know um, caves of kandahar but they will do nothing about rawalpindi this has been the biggest mystery and they will tell you if you press them which we have done many times they will tell you well because pakistan has nuclear bomb and what if it comes into the hands of rogue elements and i tell them well it's already in the hands of rogue elements what are you talking about it's already in the hands of rogue elements so to say that the this entire fall of taliban and retreat shameful retreat of america not just from kabul and from the region is primarily and primarily they can keep talking about um there is um, a lack of gun nationalism they can keep talking about karzai they can keep about talking about corruption they can keep talking about um uh, how difficult it is to govern uh, afghanistan but the fact is they were defeated in afghanistan because they refused to see the isi operation they refused to see the double game and when they finally were even saw the double game they refused to do anything about it and unless i have no doubt in my mind i have zero doubt in my mind that unless united states and the washington the hill the bureaucracy changes its position on pakistan they are not going to win this war on terror because you do not go around um fighting the satellites of this terror machine but you are not going to the motherboard if you are not going to the motherboard of um, uh, terrorism you're not going to uh, win this war on terror and one does not mean there i don't see a lot of people are talking about on social media sanctions on pakistan i don't see any talk of sanctions in united states on pakistan i don't see any talk of withdrawing money they are bankrolling them they are not uh, i don't see any talk of yes during trump uh, administration you did see that the money that was going in is not going in as much but they are still bankrolling the pakistan army they are still bankrolling the isi and because remember pakistan and china they may be friends and the friendship may be greater than the mountains and deeper than the sea but china does not bankroll them china is has a very transactional relationship with pakistan and it's going to have a very transactional relation with afghanistan who bankrolls them it's america it's united states of america that is bankrolling the terrorist state of, of pakistan and unless they do anything about it i don't think there is they are going to win this and i strongly feel lalaji and rest everybody india is alone in this it's a solo fight for india it always was a solo fight we are the last frontier and we will continue to be the last frontier kashmir will continue be to be the last frontier kashmir is the place from where all jihadis will be sent back not they were sent even when india was not as powerful as it is today uh, economically and um, militarily they were sent back even then at a great price to us i'm not denying that at a great price to people like you and me and to general to our forces we have lost some of our best and finest men in kashmir in the bonfire of kashmir we have lost our finest men but they were sent back they will be sent back again it is time that we realize that in this war on terror india is the 
only India is fighting a solo fight. When push comes to shove, America will turn back and um, um, think that this, there is nothing for me in here. My our homeland is safe. What did President Biden say at the end? He said, "I had two jobs." He was lying, like all politicians do. He said, "I had two jobs. One was to rout um, Al Qaeda and to get uh, Osama bin Laden out, and that those were our only two jobs in Afghanistan." No, President Biden, those were not your only two jobs, and uh, for that you did not need occupation of Afghanistan. Your job was to ensure that no terrorist state comes into being. What have you done 20 years after 9/11? Now you have a terrorist state. Right in our, we have two terrorist states now to our west, and uh, you have gone away, but you've left us now to deal with it. And India will deal with it. I have no doubt in my mind. I think people like us, we need to be, um, uh, you know, we need to support our forces. We need to support our government in this. But it is a solo fight. I do not outsource it to. United States do not outsource it to anybody else. It is us, and we have to fight this. Uh, Sunandaji, there's a related question from Umaji. She says, "Do you think recent the recent events in the Taliban will will impact the delimitation process? Because people like Mehbooba already are taking a very radicalized line, and if they see that Jammu is getting benefited, they may create a lot of issues." they will create a lot of issues about delimitation regardless of uh, afghanistan falling so that has nothing to do with this they will create a lot of issues if uh, um, uh, jammu gets any kind of um, uh, you know jammu is represented or jammu gets any kind of uh, justice in this delimitation process they are not going to like it so that is separate from afghanistan and they may have been emboldened by afghanistan that is for sure i'm sure that will happen but i don't see derailing of uh, delimitation process derailing of delimitation process will happen if we want to derail not because of those people if if somehow there are internal elements who are derailing it that is different but i don't see mehbooba mufti being able to derail the uh, process if uh, indian government doesn't want it uh, what i was i would request you as i said the situation that is emerging in afghanistan and uh, in, indeed america is in a very pitiable condition today they you know of, after staying for 20 year long years in afghanistan today america is controlling only the tarmac part of the kabul airport while like ironically the external periphery we outside the airport area it has been handed out to hakani hakani network which has what 5 million or 50 million dollars Uh, on his head by american authorities that's the kind of situation america has actually betrayed uh, betrayed uh, the the betrayed afghan that's for sure not only afghan it has betrayed the region and they have just they have been befooled by isi and today i believe isi is the most efficient espionage agency in the world it's more efficient than cia you can see that what's happening in there so what needs to be done we need, i think you are there in a position where you can cultivate that public opinion Pakistan is spending a lot on uh, cultivating lobbyists. Yeah. So you have to reach out to first of all Indians, especially those Indian Indian Americans who voted for who voted for Joe Biden despite knowing his uh, track record against India for all these years since he was an ordinary senator. So we have to talk about the those people in America who would understand what 
situation uh, Afghanistan is and what it could lead to. That's what it requires. Is I think we need to do it. Kashmir Jihad is the part of the global jihad. Yes. So we have to fight it on our own, that's for sure. But then I think we need to cultivate that. I'm sure there are people in America who do realize. I do see that kind of, you know, uh, picture in the social media. There are people talking about it. But I, we need to enhance that uh, voice so that there is political pressure on Joe Biden. Yeah, to to create. Yeah. I'm sure ultimately Americans will have to come in into it. We may play a uh, role. To accelerate that process, because Joe Biden, I think, is a is a is a is a is a, is a loser as as in today. So therefore, we need to act, uh, to accelerate that uh, public opinion in America. That would be great. Thank you. So I would like to quote something from Sanjay Dikshit's book. Uh, it's called Unbreaking India. So Sanjay Dikshit says, when Pakistan lost a uh, Pakistan lost a part of its anchor when it lost Bangladesh. It took away the unity of Ummah part and it deflated the two-nation theory as well as the Medina project. But the Pakistan army recovered it by replacing JNK as the Battle of Badr project in its ultimate conquest of Mecca, Mecca in India. Now with uh, revocation of 370 and with JNK slipping away, uh, the remaining part of its anchor has drifted away and Pakistan is kind of facing an existential crisis. So I would like you to tell us more about this, you know, the larger project. Kashmir has been an unfinished agenda of partition. There is no doubt about that. While it's true that I agree with Mr. Dikshit that he's saying that after the loss, humiliating loss of Dhaka, Bangladesh, Kashmir came into the um, foreground, but it's not entirely true. I will tell you why. Kashmir, even irrespective, of what happened in Bangladesh was always their prized jewel. They always wanted Kashmir. I, and the reason for that is when the state of Pakistan was formed on August 14, August 15, 1947, the first thing they did, the very first thing that they did, remember Bangladesh war was 1971. But Bangladesh, that all that had not even started yet. But within days, not even months, within days of getting independence, the first thing that Pakistani army did was start first war of Kashmir, which, which unfortunately, unfortunately, is not talked about in history books. In fact, even in our language, in Kashmiri language, we haven't forgotten it because there are my grandparents are alive and they have seen the torture that happened in 19. Thankfully, they didn't come till Srinagar. They were turned back. But in places like Sopor and Baramula, where they sent the militia, the tribals, this was in 1947, Aparna. So where 1947-48, first war of um, uh, Kashmir, first war of Kashmir and first war for Kashmir, where they were already engaging non-state actors. So non-state actors to um, snatch Kashmir, that project began in 1947 itself. That was the first project. And that is the only project of Pakistan. Pakistan only exists to get Kashmir. There is no doubt about that. In between, of course, they had a... Humili uh, Bangladesh humiliation happened, this happened, that happened. 
But the major raison d'etre, the reason why Pakistani army exists is to get Kashmir. That is the only reason that they have. They don't fight all these medals that they have on their thing for wars they have never fought and the wars they have lost. Yes, only because to tell their people that one day we are going to get Kashmir for you. So keep supporting us. That's all they tell. And there is a constituency in Pakistan which realizes this. But they are in minority and they cannot say much. They will be finished off. But they realize that their own army is taking them for a ride. All the army is saying that, you know, we are going to get Kashmir for you one day. Keep supporting us. Keep giving us money and keep, keep um, you know, bankrolling us. That's their only job. So I don't associate, I don't really... Uh, Yes, there was the humiliation of um, Bangladesh may have fueled it further, but snatching Kashmir has been Pakistan's only reason, only reason they exist, and that is the only reason they will get finished off also, because they're not going to get it. Uh, US needs to go after the mothership and not the satellite. The problem is if they go after mothership, it's like dog trying to dog, a dog trying to catch its own tail, because in my opinion, they are the mothership. And of course, uh, it is very clear that they created uh, the most efficient espionage organization of the world, which is called ISI, and their so-called children. You said something about uh, trust deficit. And I would like to understand that. Uh, you know, can you, if you can elaborate on that, that is one. Second is, um, like, after the abrogation of 370, uh, the government of India created two union territories, Ladakh, and then another one is Jammu and Kashmir. And as you have kind of alluded to and said also in, in your talk that uh, now there is an attempt to create the balance between different constituents of the whole state, which is Kashmir Valley and Jammu and, and Ladakh, and Ladakh has been addressed by creating a separate UT. Do you think that to you know, even address the balance between Kashmir Valley and Jammu, they should also be carved out as two separate unit territories or something like that. The first question was uh, the point of trust deficit. Uh, that was there any trust deficit, and why should there be any trust deficit at all? I mean, that's a, a legitimate question. Why should any trust deficit? After all, um, India has been pumping. Um, so much money into Kashmir and why should there be any trust deficit? That's a fair question. But I say, I stick to my point that there was a trust deficit because ordinary Kashmiri in Valley did not see the, the benign side of Indian government in governance. Because the only time they saw it was when Jagmohan was ruling. And they will they will agree to it. If you ask uh, ordinary Kashmiri there, not a Hindu Kashmiri, a Muslim Kashmiri, go ask him, they will tell you that, you know, his they, they're all opposed to Jagmohan and they all are forever cursing him. And there's this whole Jagmohan project, which is a, a topic of separate uh, talk altogether. But deep down, they will tell you he brought some development to the um, valley, and he did. So after that, with successive state governments, there has only been one policy 
take the money from India, keep the uh, separatists happy, keep the terrorists happy. Once in a while, state governments would allow them to create um, ruckus so that they have leverage over union government. And they, so this, this thing, this was a happy coexistence between the so-called mainstream parties, between separatists like Korea and terrorists. It was a it was a nice consensus. It was it was uh, you know they were all working in an orchestra that you know mainstream parties will fight elections and then when they are in uh, government they will they will talk a little moderately but then when they are in um, uh, um, opposition there will be no difference between them and the separatists. They will use the same language and when they are in the government they will. Um, uh, encourage um, uh, terrorists as much as they can, but keep them in limits also because they want to stay in power. But at the same time, they want to use terrorism as a leverage with you know, union of uh, union government. So all this drama was going on. It was you know conflict economy is very interesting. There is conflict state, and the conflict state has a conflict economy where people benefit from that conflict in so many different ways. So that's what was happening. Everyone was benefiting from that conflict. And so that is why I say that the trust deficit, because now there was a wall between an ordinary Kashmiri person and the union government, because union government was only speaking through the state government. That so that created some trust deficit. Do they really want like I know educated people in the valley who, uh, if you remember how August 5th, 2019 happened, there was a momentum built. Nobody knew what was happening, but for three, four days before that, everyone knew something would happen. There were educated people in Valley who told me that if abrogation happens, if um, 370 is removed, the government of India will come with uh, um, uh, military tanks and they're going to trample us and kill us all. This is what they thought. This is really what they thought, that somebody is going to trample them. They did not even understand that a democracy like India cannot do this, even if they wanted. So the point is that is that is the trust deficit I'm talking about. I am not saying that there was any reason for, um, uh, why why should a person from um, Srinagar um, uh, have any more expectations from the government than a person in Jharkhand. I'm not. I mean, of course, uh, now with removal of 370, that has changed. But there was this thing where they were not seeing. They were not seeing the progressive elements of Indian constitution. They were not seeing a lot of things that Indian constitution had brought about in rest of the mainland. So that trust deficit, that's what I was talking about when I talked about um, the trust deficit. Will it lead to change of heart? I am not so sure. But as long as there is understanding, there is acceptance of the civilizational state of Kashmir and civilizational state of India, I think that is what we will take for now. I don't work with change of hearts and dil badal denge and all that because that does not happen. I have not seen that in my um, uh, 
lifetime. I don't think I will see that in several lifetimes after me also. So we should not even go after that mythical change of heart. It's not going to happen, at least for a few generations. At least let the might, might of Indian state be established. Let the generosity and the fairness of Indian state be established because this is this that is what is important and once that happens then we don't care about um, um, change of I don't I don't believe in those change of heart business the other question was um, uh, will uh, Jammu and Kashmir be um, different territories Union territories now, or will there be further, um, uh, you know, a change in the thing? I don't see it happening, Rohitji. I do not see. In fact, I personally would have liked. I have a lot of sympathy with my um, um, fellow citizens from Jammu. Honestly, I do. They have taken a bribe, and I feel that they have always been governed from the. Um, the governance has always been from the prism of the valley, and for the longest time, they have been left out from the gravy day train they have not gotten everything that they deserved and they think they are also you know in international border is right there they also suffer a lot as far as terrorism is concerned so they have not been given that kind of thing but i don't see it happen i think the consensus in the indian government and um i'm just telling you i, I don't believe in it i i think that there should be a further um, uh, you know uh, change, there should be a union territory uh, carved out for um, uh, Kashmiri Hindus and a separate union territory should be given to um, Jammu. But that's my personal view. But I don't see that happening. I don't think there is any debate about that in the government at the moment. I do not think they believe in separating um, uh, Jammu and Kashmir and they have their own reasons for it. But I don't see it happening right now. Talking uh, about Kashmiri Muslims in general, so the trust deficit in minds of Kashmiri Hindus, even back mm. then. The trust, there has always been a trust deficit and the trust deficit comes from the fact that I've said um, at a policy level, and I only speak on the policy level, um, They've been speaking in two languages. I mean, they, they, they say one thing in Lal Chowk and then they would say, the leaders would say another thing in Delhi. This has been uh, well established now. As far as personal relationships with um, uh, Kashmir Muslims and Kashmir Hindus are concerned, I don't mm, buy the Kool-Aid of Kashmiriyat. I lived in Kashmir, never saw it. I don't know how people outside of Kashmir see Kashmiriyat when they have never lived in Kashmir, but they keep talking about Kashmiriyat. I don't know where they saw it, how they saw it. I would like to be introduced to it. I have never seen it. Um, so I, I, I don't believe in that. The situation between the two communities were not conducive. And I have no qualms in saying that. I have said it many times. Um, the power differential was such because when you are a mi micro minority of 2% or 3%, then you have no choice but to live 
but not to be not to do anything that would risk any kind of uh, you know aggression towards you because then you get into when you are in a minority of 2% in a hostile nation or hostile country or a hostile place then it we had learned nobody taught us but we had learned it that ghar se bahar ja ke we have to speak in a certain way my cousins were told uh, uh, boy cousins uh, after if there was a match a cricket match or something they were told to come back from school early because you never know what would happen my father used to go to a temple and i have the hari parbat temple which is um, in news right now because of um uh, you know um, tricolor that was hoisted there uh, i have faint memories i used to he used to take me to hari parbat and i used to sit on his shoulders but i remember jab hum wahan se wapas aate the from the thing and the minute he would get into the it was a trek so the minute he would get down instinctively he would sort of wipe his finger i don't know why i mean i was a child i didn't know why he did it i don't think he thought about it these things are not taught but when you are a minority looking out for yourself and almost scared those things come very naturally to you so i'm talking about this is about 80s this is when the terrorism so called terrorism had not started this is when yash chopra still was making movies in kashmir and shooting and showing all kinds of in kashmir was um, um shawls and pashminas and uh, uh, you know yash chopra movies even then that's how we lived in a constant state of fear ki bahar kuch mat bolo chup chap ghar aao don't ladai jagah mat bolo because who will come and protect you come sit in your thing it's it's very difficult for people outside kashmir apna to understand this mindset it's very difficult to understand nobody believes it but this is the truth this is the truth i have seen and i have written it there is a article that went viral many years ago that i had written why i hate cricket and if any one of you wants to uh, google it you can find it it was and i had said that i still to this day find it very difficult to watch a cricket match um because i remember that once i remember every time um uh, sunil gavaskar would hit a six not just against pakistan against anybody um a hindu boy would get slapped for no reason i have seen it for my um eyes if ravi shastri did something on the cricket match back in kashmir or in you know some stones would get bent i have seen it so till this day i am not able to watch a cricket match i mean cricket has whole different meaning for me um so these things happened there were there were, it was not a let's say conducive for existence uh, and then of course everything blew up in 1988 um, 89 90 and it had to um but it was it was in place of simmering discontent it was a summer of simmering discontent i call it long summer of simmering discontent and after that the winter of terrorism started and it hasn't ended till now we are waiting for our spring and then we will go back like wide understand what you're saying though to not the extent that you have lived it because i grew up in punjab in back in the 80s before you must so i i saw my mother transitioning from a sari to salwar suit 
wiping off her bindi because she was working. And uh, we used to go out in skirts. We were in class 11 and 12. We switched to pants and salwar suits because... This story was... has not been told, uh, Aparna. This story, our story, we started working on it and But story of Hindus in Punjab in 80s has not been told at all. And it is, it is on my agenda. And, you know, I really, really, really do want to do this too as well in my thing. One day I want to speak about those people in 80s and Hindus in uh, Punjab and what they went through. It was, it, it's, it's not easy. exodus Yes, they went back because, um, you know, uh, um, demographics were not as skewed as they were for us. But exodus happened in Punjab also at that time. A lot of people left. A lot of people came back also then, but uh, it's a story that has not been told. I'm glad you uh, brought it up. Uh, more than the exodus, we did not move out. My Both my parents were in government jobs and all, and yeah. we were in yeah. a relatively safer place. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's the loss of identity. Just yeah. this morning, I had a, an argument with someone because somebody said, we must go back to more Sanskritized words in Hindi than Urduized. So I said, look, my grandparents did not have a choice. They had to leave their land, which became Pakistan and come here. They lost their physical possessions. My parents didn't know better. Uh, so they lost their identity. Nobody believed, like when they t- I tell them that I'm a Punjabi, they automatically assume I'm a Sikh. No, I'm mm-hmm. a Punjabi Brahmin. There is nothing mm-hmm. called a Punjabi Hindu or a pra- Punjabi Brahmin in the minds of outsiders. And now he tells me to leave my uh, native tongue, which has Farsi and Urdu and Sanskrit and Hindi words. And why should I leave that? Why should I kind of give up my identity even if it is for, you know, it's the loss of identity which is happening for us. Sunanda ji, uh, what you said is correct. And that is why I was a little bit uh, kind of perplexed when you talked about trust deficit. And this now makes sense because when all this was happening, how can those same set of people or maybe the next generation of the same people turn around and say, I have trust deficit? Because when somebody does all of this, and of course, then you would expect that, oh my God, because I have done all of this, uh, now the tanks are tanks will come rolling over all over me when something happens. Yeah. So so I'm not surprised. Uh, but some, But you know, saying that, People have trust deficit. I'm sorry. That's a very lame argument to me, at least. Of course, I'm not the affected party. But even as an unaffected party, when I see all of this and I hear all of this, and I have heard because some of my friends were from Kashmir who relocated and they told me the firsthand stories of what happened with them and their families. Yeah, listen, both of both of you, when you, when you talk about Punjab, please tread with caution. Punjab uh, issue is no way comparable to what we have on hand. No, it is absolutely, yeah, absolutely, number two. Absolutely. And there, there, even during those uh, crises in Punjab in the 80s, I used to be frequent traveler to the place where I would see Punjab get shut, Chandigarh got shut at 6.30 in the evening, right? So, but there were, ever has been an occasion when 10 non-Hindus came in the street and spoke in unison, uh, raised slogans against India yeah. or the yeah, uh, against yeah, yeah. Hindus. And more yeah. Sikhs died defending Hindu, defending yeah. since uh, this uh, Sanatan civilization, it was the Hindus yeah. in Punjab. Yeah. Hindus suffered because they were identifiable, but Sikhs mm-hmm. fought. And yeah. uh, I think that's, that's a very important difference. Yeah, I advise let few Khalistanis do not uh, 
provoke us to do something that can be damaging in the long run. Absolutely. Is India, Punjab is Sikhi and uh, I don't think we should be able to differentiate. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. I, uh, the reason I said okay. that, I said because some stories of what happened those days of Khalistani terror also need to be spoken about. There are some stories there that should come. The human stories should come out. That was my only point. It is by no means comparable. I uh, completely agree. Uh, reminding all of you, Vimla Dang, the heroine of Punjab, the communist leader, the communist couple Dangs, you know, they fought pitch battles with Khalistanis from their rooftop. Yeah. They yeah, fought yeah. it. And you know, Vimla Dang was a Kashmiri Pandit origin, by the way. What are the new initiatives and the projects that we should cover as a part of this program, which are must visit? And my second question would be uh, that uh, what should we constantly keep in mind while we are uh, having a conversation with the people over there? Specifically in Jammu and Kashmir, yeah. Hmm. Um, you guys are doing, a, yours is a, a think tank, right? Governance model has changed in Kashmir. It's mostly coming from the office of um, uh, LG right now. So there are a lot of um, uh, infrastructure projects. I think infrastructure has seen the biggest Philip infrastructure is um, getting a lot of money also and there's um, uh, getting a lot of support from the government so infrastructure projects i would definitely cover i would also talk about um, a lot of um, medical schools and engineering schools and nursing schools are coming up i would cover i would cover that i mean uh, there's a lot of work going on in professional schools that are being uh, uh, you know uh, introduced and being started in um, jammu valley uh, in jammu region as well um, another important thing I would talk about is the light rail that uh, that I am personally very excited about because they're saying that they are going to start one in Kashmir and one Jammu. I would I would um, uh, sort of um, you know try to research on that that how is that going to change any uh, you know uh, things. So those are broadly things that I would uh, talk about. Um, water Jaljeevan Mission, which was not in um, Kashmir at all till 370 was abrogated. Um, I'm seeing that there are uh, the government has actually put some lot of people on uh, this Jaljeevan mission so that every home gets water. So um, that's an interesting project in itself because Kashmir is a very uh, difficult terrain. So that those things I would focus on. But once when you are in the valley, I would suggest you go to schools go to educational institutions because that's where you see what the next generation is thinking and what they are uh, thinking i would go there speak to people there speak and see what is in the mind and report truthfully that's what i would do i would go to the educational institutions and schools both in jammu and kashmir and wherever you are going to okay here's the thing Please open the map of Jammu and Kashmir. Please understand Jammu is different, Kashmir is different. I know this sounds very, um, uh, you know, condescending, but let me tell you, I come from a point of view where people have, I've spoken to people who do not even understand that Jammu is different and Kashmir is different. So please open the map and 
understand the geography of Jammu and Kashmir, which is very important. Understand the languages that are spoken. Please understand that Jammu speaks a different language. Kashmir speaks a different language. There are many languages are the, um, spoken in the regional hilly areas. So, you know, understanding of those things. Please understand that Amarnath is in Kashmir and Vashno Devi is in Jammu. Please don't say that Vashno Devi is in Kashmir. You know, things like that. You know, those, those things matter when you speak to people. And, um, and don't call it Kashmir. Call it Kashmir because that's what it is. And um, those, I, I think anybody, any think tank that is trying to get a real um, uh, idea of what is happening should speak to stakeholders both in Jammu and uh, Kashmir and try to speak to them at their own level and report truthfully. Okay. With the current Afghan scenario, mm -hmm. so what if, as the US has got the lesson? Uh, what now the there is only one nation who is going to who is like uh, supporting them in a way so what if they this terrorist organization uh you know bite to like you know they 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 bite back to china in a way because they are also doing in their uh, concentration camps and all so what the, do you think the biggest the terrorist state in the world pakistan is already um, a client state of china so it's not something that's going to happen. It's already happened. The biggest terrorist state of our times is already a client state of China. But you have to understand that China works differently than other um, uh, countries, erstwhile Soviet Union or um, United States. China does not get into this whole thing about they have to um, uh, you know, bring democracy or freedom to people. They don't worry about that. They don't give democracy and freedom to their own people. So they are not bogged down by trivialities, quote unquote, like that, that we have to bring any kind of democracy, freedom, liberty, and all kinds of uh, liberal principles. They are into a very transactional relationship. So it is in China's interest that Taliban stay away from Taliban won't create any kind of trouble in Uga region. So they are going to uh, do negotiations. I mean, negotiations have already started. If you must have seen that Chinese foreign minister has already had a very high level uh, talks with Taliban leaders um, and very publicly, they've had a very high level summit already. So the idea is that leave us alone we will bankroll you and we will have this transactional relationship and you go and take your terror and all your terror machines and whatever you are and unleash them on india unleash them on other places that we don't like but keep the uger region separate and keep the belt roadway which is um, uh, at the moment it has been stalled but which is i call him emperor xi emperor xi's greatest um, uh, thing xi jinping's he wants that belt road initiative so he is going to tell them that stay away from that you know balochistan don't blow up anything there he wants that that original spice route so um, stay away from there but go take um, your terror factories everywhere else and in return we will give you recognition.
that recognition has already happened in a way, not in a um, formal way. But um, even before, and I, I said this publicly, I said, even before we know the Taliban face, even before we know what kind of government is going to be in Afghanistan anymore, even before we know who's going to lead that government, China has already said that we, Taliban has come to the power uh, legitimately and we need to talk to them. So there is no question about China and Russia giving them, um, um, you know, support that they want. And so that's what that's what I always feel that this is a solo war for India. It is. It's a. It, it's not easy. India is going to have a huge security nightmare going forward um, because all those mujahideens are going to come here. But that's what it is. I feel India is prepared. Indian army is prepared. Indian government is prepared. Indian people are prepared. And um, India was always going to be the last frontier. India will be the last frontier. I have no doubt about it. It's not going to be easy to survive in that region, but that's what we do. The context of my question is that, uh, as you said, the distress is palpable among the Islamists as we see increased political killings in the you know, region. And after abrogation of 370, Pakistan is sounding even more distressed now than ever because Pakistan being a jihadi state sees that the nullification of this article 370 means uh, termination of their Medina project, as uh, Aparnaji also said. So what do you think uh, Pakistan or the radical Islamist might do in near future do you foresee more political killings of those participants uh, mm. who really want proper democracy and peace there i do i do i see a huge uh, security situation developing i have no doubt about it but i also see a strong um, indian um backup for that i mean answer for that so see after post balakot and post airstrikes india is not the same state you also have to understand that uh, we have also said that post pulwama how india replied you know it has it's already been sort of set now that this um, the current dispensation or any dispensation that comes after this now we'll have to take it further than um, what we did after Pulwama. So uh, nothing is off the table. Nothing is a red line anymore. You do a thing like Pulwama, you will face um, something like uh, you did. So in um, Valley, even right now, our forces have an upper hand on the terrorism. There's no question. You do hear about um, encounters every day. You hear about targeted killings every day. But for every Pulwama, let me tell you, there are 200 Pulwamas that don't see light of the day, that are thwarted by our security forces. Remember, terrorists have to be right only once, and our security forces have to be right every time. That's the definition of success. Definition of success for terrorists and security forces is not the same. They just have to succeed once. We have to succeed every time. So they do succeed every time. Once in a while, uh, something like Pulwama happens or these things happen. Um, I don't see um, India cowing down or India holding back. Even if you see after fall of Kabul, 
um, EAM external affairs minister Jashankar has not made any conciliatory notes in UN at all. He talked about LED, he talked about Jaish, he talked about cross-border terrorism, he talked about um, how India has been wrecked by um, uh, terrorism. And uh, a prime minister yesterday made a statement that Somnath think um, that, you know, uh, no kind of terrorism will be. Yes, there is going to be increase in uh, targeted killings. There is going to be increase in infiltration. Um, but India is ready. I, it's nothing that we have not faced before and we're not ready for. Let's put it that way. I think I think it's something that we've seen before and something that um, Indian forces are ready for. So if I look from an outsider perspective uh, in a very ignorant way, um, I see that India had three full-fledged wars uh, with its Western neighbor, Pakistan, and it won all the three. However, the territory which it had taken away from India before all the three wars, it is still sitting with it. India has not been able to take it back. And that, that state, as you rightly said, is the, is the biggest terrorist state right now in the world after the mothership. Um, and it keeps creating problems for India. Why would a country outside India would, would have any kind of respect, for the lack of a better word, and second, all the jihadi elements, which is the most important thing for me, inside India, whether Hindus or Muslims, why would they, they bother too much about it? Because they have seen all of that. They still see what happens within the country. Let me try to understand. The question is that why would they be scared about India and why would they worry about India because we've not been able to take the territory that belongs to us back? Is that the question? Because we haven't done anything. I don't think that is completely true, Rohitji, because um, India was also able to break Pakistan into two countries. And that is when we were not anywhere near the economic power we are now or, uh, you know, socially or um, we were not as strong of a nation we were then. So I don't think there is a question of fear or anything. Indian Army is feared. Indian Army is um, the one of the fittest force and the passion and the disciplined Indian Army. There is no question that if they are, if they set out to do a uh, on a mission, they will accomplish it. The point is political will, because this is a uh, so militarily. I don't have any issues about. Uh, I don't see any issues. The point is political will. Now, the political will for 70, what was the consensus for 70 years? The consensus for 70 years was that let's forget partition. Let's forget what happened. Let's just be in our own little zones where we are. Let's forget anything, you know, let's forget things that led up to partition. Let's have this. Um, uh, uh, what was that project that uh, we used to do? Aman Ki Asha. Let's have that Aman Ki Asha project. That's where we were coming from. We were talking about cricket diplomacy. We were talking about Aman Ki Asha. We were talking about thinking, singing songs together. We were talking about 
um, forgetting the our own Holocaust. We were not giving enough. Uh, Punjab partition at least found its way in some, um, uh, you know, um, popular culture. Bengal, what happened to Bengal has not even found its way in popular culture at all. So many people are even unaware of what happened in Bengal at that time. So the consensus, Nehruvian consensus at that time was forget everything and move ahead. So in that kind of consensus, where are you going to get the land territory back or anything? We were just holding on to what we had. We were not going to do anything. That was the whole thing. The whole, this whole thing now, even then, Atal Bihari Vajpayee, under his thing, the resolution was passed in um, uh, parliament that Pakistan occupied Kashmir is the unfinished task of India. We will get it one day. At least that resolution was passed in his, um, under his leadership. After that, um, uh, you know, we have been constantly talking about Pakistan occupied Kashmir, at least it has been kept alive. The political will wasn't there to even start a discussion or a debate about it. I don't, it is, we are only now starting to retaliate. Remember, after the parliament attacks or even Mumbai attacks, we did not even retaliate. Strategic silence was supposed to be our um, weapon. It was not our weapon. It was our cowardice. Which country sits quietly when your parliament is attacked? Which country sits quietly when a Mumbai-like attack happens? It was, it, it was a consensus of cowardice at that point. It was not any kind of a thing. And they tried to wrap it up beautifully in strategic restraint. You know, those were the words that people used. It wasn't any kind of restraint. It never stopped anyone from coming. Now, at least we have moved that. So give it time. Give it time, Rohanji. Nation building and nation thing, it's not a matter of one lifetime. It, it happens over periods. And as you know, we are um, in um, dharma is a cycle. Our lives, it's not time is cyclical. It will happen. It will happen one lifetime, two lifetimes. Uh, we can wait a lot, but um, it will happen. Don't worry about it. It's only started. The wheels have only started changing now. What is the relevance of parties like National Conference and the PDP? After all, their actions have always been treacherous. Mm. And once this article has been uh, repealed, uh, if they speak for the enemy, what is their relevance? Especially the Hurriyat on the other side, they are separatists. So if the 370 article has been taken out, where is their role? I wish I had a straight question for you, uh, answer for you. After uh, abrogation, we the Indian state went all out saying that these people have been relegated to paper tigers, these people have no relevance, look, nobody is fighting for them, they have not, um, they've not been able to create any street rebellion, which is true, all that. But at the same time, when local body elections were held, they did win. We cannot deny that also in a democracy. They did win the seats. So there obviously has to be some amount of 
uh, you know, uh, acceptance within the local valley. Now, whether they are voting them as a strategy to keep every other party out or all that, that happens in a democracy, what can you do? But locally, I will tell you, and I speak to a lot of local people, they hate Huria as much as they hate um, PDP and um, um, national conference. Maybe not for the reasons that I hate them or I um, uh, don't appreciate their policies. The reasons may be different, but they hate them as well. The point right now is we have not been able to create another option for the people of Kashmir. It will take a while. You know, and this is not the first time that we've been trying to create. PDP was created as an option to um, uh, JNK, I mean, um, a national conference. In between, there was, national conference was broken apart, if you remember. Uh, you know, if the hist history of Kashmir is replete with uh, union government uh, from Delhi trying to create options and hoisting it on people. It never works. The problem is when you are trying to create um, options from outside, it does not have any kind of legitimacy. So the option has to come from people of Kashmir. So people of Kashmir have to rise up and say that we are willing to look beyond these two parties. Government of India cannot do much there. So as long as they are winning elections and as long as they're doing, we will have to work with them even understanding that they uh, don't have the legitimacy, but at the same time, supporting and encouraging, um, uh, you know, alternates that come up. But with this delimitation, that is going to be a huge um, uh, impact on these parties. Both these parties are not willing to agree to any kind of, uh, the next battle is going to be about uh, limitation. It's not going to be about 370. That's a done deal. Nobody's going to fight about 370. Nobody's going to fight about anything. Next battle is going to be about delimitation. Even when Prime Minister met them, uh, the um, uh, conference that was held, they were only talking about delimitation and statehood. They were not even talking much talking about 370 because they know and they acknowledged it. Um, Omar Abdullah said and said he's not going to talk about uh, removing 370 from the people who actually removed it. What is the point? So. They, they are politicians. They understand the ground realities. They know 370 is not going anywhere. So next battle is about going to be about limitation, delimitation. If delimitation is done the way I think it should be done, if delimitation is done in a way that Jammu gets its rightful share, then I think uh, the parties will already lose a little bit of power that they have. And then the alternates will come. So we have to give it a little bit of time. All this, as I was telling Rohitji also, nation building, these are, it takes time. Unfortunately, this stuff takes time. So we just have to be patient, keep doing the right thing, never lose the momentum, never lose the thing, but let keep doing the right thing and um, options will come up.